above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known, above all wealth and treasures of the earth, there's no way to measure what you're worth. Led behind a storm, you left to die, rejected and alone, like a rose, trampled on the ground. You took the fall, thought of me above all. Above all powers, above all kings, I think it's been there already. And all created things, above all wisdom and all ways. If you know that song, sing along. Come on, guys. Jews were here before the world began. Let's sing it. Above all kingdoms, above all thrones, above all wonders the world has ever known, above all wealth and treasures of the earth, use no way to measure what you're worth. Crucified, laid behind a stone, you live to die, rejected and alone, like a rose, trampled on the ground, you took the fall, thought of me. Above all, crucified, laid behind a stone, you live to die, rejected and alone, like a rose, trampled on the ground, you took the fall. Thought of me above all, trampled on the ground. You took the fall. Thought of me above is a very special day. In fact, today is even more special 
<laughs> Thank you, Pastor, for coming. Let's let's give let's, let's give Pastor a hand. <laughs> Hallelujah. Pastor, you want to say some few words for us? Okay. <laughs> Today is a very special day. In fact, more special than Christmas. Much, much more special than Christmas. In fact, if you look at all of Christianity, if you take out today, out of Christianity, we don't have Christianity anymore. Do you know why? Who can tell me? Yes. Because Jesus, if Jesus didn't die for our sins, we won't be here. Right? We won't be here. What else? What do you also think? If we take out today... Okay, how about let me make it more difficult. So let's say we still have Good Friday, but we never have Resurrection Sunday. Christianity will still be useless. What do you think? Why? Yes, Irama. Because he goes from the dead to give us salvation so we can go back in time to Israel. Wow, because he rose from the dead to give us salvation so that we can go back and repent and be saved. He rose from the dead. Yes, Irina. Um, I also think that if he didn't rise from the dead, like we'd be like all the other religions because like I guess their gods also died, but they didn't rise up. Wow. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we'll be like all the other religions because all their leaders also died and never rose up. Like, for example, Muhammad, right? He's still in the grave. And who else? Buddha? Yes, Monica. Jesus died for us for our sins. Exactly. So you see that, yes, of course, without Christmas, Jesus wouldn't have come. But even after he came, if he didn't die on the cross, you know, like when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and praying, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass over from me. And let's say Jesus all of a sudden said, no, no, this is too painful. I'm not going to die. I'm just going back to heaven. We will all be lost. You know, and that is why if I was an atheist, for instance, and I'm trying to challenge you on your Christianity, one of the places that I will focus on is on the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because if I can disprove that Jesus never rose from the dead, you see that you don't have any Christian faith anymore. Do you agree? Yeah. If, 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 if the atheist can prove to you, or you go to university and your university professor can prove to you that, hey, Jesus never rose from the dead. All of it is a lie. All your Christianity is in shambles. You know, and that's what we're going to talk about today, actually. Um, we've been talking about Matus, and remember, last Friday I said Matus means what? A witness. A witness. A witness. It's, what language is Matus? Greek. It's not um, chi. It's Greek. Right? And Greek in Greek, martus means a witness. A witness in a legal sense, like I told you, if you are filling a document, you're filling a document and you need, you need, you need somebody to sign for you. So that's one way that witness means in a legal sense, right? And then also in a historical sense, when you witness an event, somebody was driving on the road, 
and this person was passing by and he wasn't paying attention, he was on the phone and he hit the person. And you were right there. And they go to court, they say they need a witness. You can go and be a witness of something that happened in the past that you saw, right? But then we also saw that a witness also refers in a more ethical sense or religious sense for those people who believe in something and they are willing to die for what they believe. So in that sense, they are a witness of what they believe. So for example, Christians, right? We believe in Jesus. If somebody were to come here with a gun to my head saying, hey, you say you're a pastor. Deny Jesus and then I let you go. Or you still say that you know Jesus and I blow off your head. If I'm a true witness of what I believe, what do you think I will do? I'll still say, no, I believe in Jesus. I'm willing to die for what I believe. Right? And in that sense, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, we saw when Jesus said, you will receive power. Who knows that scripture? Huh. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. <laughs> Acts chapter 1 verse 8. You shall receive power. Yes, Myra? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Amen. Come on in. Just find any empty seats. Come, come, come up here. Come up here. If you sit beside Pastor, you get more blessings. Amen. So Acts 1.8 says that you will be my witnesses. You will receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be what? My witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and unto the ends of the earth. Amen. Amen. Now, that word witness in Acts 1.8 is the word what? Martus. Okay. So when Jesus was telling them that you will be my witnesses, he was telling them that you'll be people who believe in me, who will stand strong in what you believe in me, even if it means death, you will still believe in me and not deny me. That's a true witness. That's a true Christian. You know, if, if you're a Christian, truly a Christian, you will not deny Jesus, no matter what. No matter what. And if you feel like you're not quite there yet, then I really would challenge you to think closely and deeply about what you say you believe in. Because you have to come to that place yourself where what you believe in means more to you than your very own life. You know what somebody said, and this person was an unbeliever. He said that anything you are not willing to die for is not worth believing in. Right? And so that's that word matters. Now we saw that there is two ways that we can get power. But one way we get power is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon you. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, He gives you power. 
power, boldness, courage. What is the other way that you get power? We saw that on Friday. What is the other way we get power? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Have you, have you guys watched um, Ghanaian Nigerian movies where they are doing voodoo and those kind of stuff, right? You see, when they are doing those stuff, they want power, so they do some sacrifices, right? Because even in the devil's kingdom, even in the devil's kingdom, are you, are you listening? Yes. Even in the devil's kingdom, they know that if you want power, you have to do some sacrifice. So they'll go and get the chicken and go and cut the chicken and put it on the stone. And then the fetish priest will come and do some stuff, right? And then they get power to do evil stuff. Now, in God's kingdom, another way we get power is through what? Sacrifice. And Jesus demonstrated that to us. We saw in 1 Corinthians 1.18, I believe. It says that, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Those who don't believe, the message of the cross is foolishness. But to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of what? Of God. So, the message of the cross. What is the cross? The cross is sacrifice. Jesus Christ had himself sacrificed. Died. For the salvation of all of us. Right? And he told us, Greater love has no one than this, that a man should lay down his life for his brother. So, not only has Jesus died for us, Jesus expects us to also sacrifice for one another. Okay? And when you do that, you get more power. So we, we saw that on Friday, so I'm not going to go into it. But today, I want to focus a bit more on the power that comes to us through the Holy Spirit. And with that, we will look into how we will use that boldness to talk about the resurrection. Okay? So we're looking at that and... That's the scripture in Acts 1.8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I'll give you an example of the fulfillment of this scripture. Who among the disciples denied Jesus? Who? Denied. Peter. It was Peter who denied Jesus. Who betrayed Jesus? Judas. But it was Peter who denied Jesus. Why do you think Peter denied Jesus? He was scared. He was afraid. He was scared. How many of us sometimes are scared to talk about our faith? Right? We all are sometimes, right? Sometimes you are afraid and your friends put you in a corner and are blasting you with questions. You, you are afraid. Some of you don't care. That's good. Yes, you have your hand up. It's not that we're afraid. It's just like sometimes it's not the right time. Like I can't just talk. Oh, you know Jesus? Like it's weird. You know? You right. Just, like, say it, man. It's not the right time. But it's not that you're afraid. Okay. What if you are put on the spot in the middle of your class? It's awkward. Well, Peter was shy. Peter was so shy that a little girl asked Peter, you are with him. You knew him. Peter was scared. 
And he said, no, I don't know him. I swear to God, I don't know him. I never knew him. Oh, yeah, and truly, he, sw- he swore. He said, I swear, I don't know. I don't know him. <laughs> it's like, I, don't, I said, I never knew him. Wow. I mean, how will you feel? Your best friend, whom you've been doing everything with, sharing all your secrets with, the moment that you are in trouble, that you need your friend to stand by you, your best friend says, me, I, I don't know this person. How will you feel? You feel hurt, right? That's exactly how it felt. You know Jesus was hurt. You know, Jesus was, was going, he was, he was being beaten, the soldiers were carrying him. And when Peter denied Jesus the third time, Jesus turned. It concerned him so much that he actually turned and looked at Peter. He looked at him. That was, that was what broke Peter's heart. Peter realized that, oh, I have, I have denied the master. I've disappointed him. So the Bible says, immediately Peter broke down and began to weep. He wept so hard. And so later after the resurrection, when Jesus came back, he made it a point to go to Peter directly, to let Peter know that, don't worry, I have forgiven you. You know, so I was saying all that to say that Peter was very shy. But on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon Peter, something happened to this shy guy. All of a sudden, he stood up in the midst of thousands of people, thousands of people, and he began to preach to them. He began to preach to them and tell them that, hey, you people who killed Jesus, this Jesus has been raised from the dead, and he has sent the Holy Spirit upon us. So that you will know the way of salvation. And then he, he spoke to them and said, There is no other name given amongst men by which we should be saved except the name of Jesus. This same person who was shy and afraid, when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he was bold. And he spoke about the resurrection. Amen. So I want, you, I want to really ask for your attention for some few minutes. You know, I, I try not to talk for long. But as I talk, I engage you, okay? So I'll be asking you questions here and there. And I want you to ask me questions anytime. You can raise your hand, stop me, ask me a question. Okay, and I'll make sure I answer your question. So we're looking at true witnesses. True witnesses. Last Friday, we saw that Jesus is the who? The faithful witness, right? Today we're looking at true witnesses. And what I mean by that is people who are bold witnesses of the truth. Bold witnesses of the truth. Do you know that you can be a witness of something that is false? Yeah, you can be a witness of something that's false. And we're going to look at that, actually. Bold witnesses of the truth. Concerning Jesus... He is described in Revelation 3.14 as the faithful and true witness. That word witness is the word martus. Okay. Jesus Christ is described as a faithful and true witness. So if there's a true witness, then there's possible to be a false witness. 
I don't want to go into the details of all that, but just in a short summary, one false witness that will come on the scene very soon is who? Jesus. The Antichrist. The Antichrist is one false witness who is going to come on the scene. He's going to deceive people. But Jesus Christ is the true witness because he bears witness to the truth. And he has called you and I to also be like him, to be true witnesses. Now, there is something, which I started by talking to you about, there is something that is foundational to what we stand for, which if we don't grasp, our witness becomes false. Okay? Let's read it. First Corinthians chapter 15. Michaela, read for me, verse 13 to 15. But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and our faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead did not rise. Amen. Yes, come on in. There's seats here. He says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. So, how many of you, you're all in school, right? You're all in high school, or maybe some of you in middle school. You study science, at least general science. Okay, I like to talk about science because I'm a scientist myself, and I like science, okay? Now, last Friday we did some biology, those of you who missed. We talked about some biology. Today we'll talk a bit more, but not necessarily biology. Now, it's saying here, if there is no resurrection of the dead, just look, just, just, let's just pause and look at that statement. If there is no resurrection of the dead, what happens to people when they die? Is death the end? Death is the end of the body. Why have you died before? How did you know? I know dead people. You know dead people are still in the grave. Really? What happens? Is death the end? Is it like so? Once I die, then I vanish, and that's it. What do you think, Vanessa? What do you think? Yeah. Your soul. So I have a soul? Yeah. Have you seen my soul before? Yeah. How do you know I have a soul? Because God said so. Okay. It's good to say that. But if I'm an atheist, I don't believe in God. So if you say God says so, it doesn't do anything to me. How do you convince me that I have a soul? If I don't believe in God. Irama, you understand my question? What? Chris. Walking outside, and like you know, when like if it's in the shade, you can see like your shadow, or like when the light is reflected. Uh huh. Yeah. So your shadow is is yeah. your soul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, 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 yep. That's crazy. You, you are, you are, you are sitting there, you are laughing, but you didn't say anything too. You didn't say anything. How do I know, guys, listen. 
how do I know that I have a soul? You, he has answered something. You have a soul. Well, if you are alive in the world. If you are alive, means you have a soul. If you are alive, means you have a soul. Really? Yes, Monica. In your heart, in your soul, your 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 heart, your soul is in your heart. Okay, yes, Rama. If you think of it, your body is like a canvas, like when God made you, it was just your body. But for you to be like able to like to be alive and to be talking and breathing, whatever, uh-huh. into you, and that is like the soul He implanted you, like He implanted within you, so you could be alive. Wow. <laughs> so you can be alive and do what you are doing. Okay. That's close. That's close. Let me hear more. How do you convince me that I have a soul? Yes, Chanel. Your body is like a temple and God put a part of himself into you and that's like your soul. Huh. Okay, now, let's be scientific here. Because remember, you're trying to convince somebody who doesn't believe in God, doesn't believe in all this temple, whatever things you're talking about. How do you convince an unbeliever who doesn't believe in God thinks that this world is all that you see and that when you die, that's it. Right? That your death and the death of the dog and the cat, there's no difference. Right? How do you convince yourself? How do you convince such a person that, no, you're more than your body? Who wants to add to what has been said? Yes, Irina. I guess they have a bad soul. Hmm. Okay. Yes, transfer. I guess when like you die, right? There's still a body there when you die, but it's not functioning, right? So that means that there has to be something there to allow that body to function. There has to be something. Then that's your soul. Hmm. And you die. The body is still there, yeah. but it's not functioning. But that, so it means there's something about you that's no longer there, and that is your soul. That's what you're explaining to us. Nice. You guys are really close. All the answers are very close. Now, just a little that I'll add to it, scientifically, that you should think about is, uh, do you realize that there have been times where people are dead, and their brain is still functioning, and so the doctors will harvest their brain and put it in some, something to study? There are situations like that. Oh, and we have the nurse here. And there are times where they would, the heart is still functional, right? And so they'll harvest the heart. You've heard of heart transplant? Right, because the heart is still functional, but the person is dead, right? But the heart is still beating, but the person is dead, right? So the, the doctors can take the heart and put it into another person. Why isn't that the... The person who died, when they put their heart into the other person, that person didn't die. So scientifically, when you think about it, we are more than flesh and blood and bones. There is a part of us that is called life, that makes us alive, that you can't explain scientifically. Did I confuse you? Yes. So how are they able to help the person who's dead if their heart's still functioning? 
That's a good question. Ness, can you help me? As dead. Oh, you are gone. No. <laughs> 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 you are gone, cry. But you see, the reality is that. So that's what. That's one aspect. The other aspect that you will know that you are more than, you are more than your body is. Is there a difference between your mind and your brain? Yes. There is? What's the difference? What's the difference between your mind and your brain? Yes. Your mind is your thinking. Yes, you've explained it very well. I hope you guys will be able to try and follow what she's saying. Your brain is your, the physical part, the thing in your head, right, that sends messages to the rest of your body. So like right now, if I want to raise my hand, it's my brain that decides I want to raise my hand, sends the messages to my muscles, and my muscles begin to contract and raise my hand, okay? So it's your brain that is doing that. But then my mind is more of that part of the real me. Okay, now that real me is what you call, it's called your soul. The real you is your soul. And your soul is also the seat of your emotions. So you know how you're there and then there's some people who, you just hear some bad news and then you start crying. And then you feel sad, right? That's happening from your soul, okay? Now your soul is also your the seed of your will so if i say i want um what do i want chicken <laughs> so let's say i want chicken and if i eat chicken i feel good it's something in me that makes me like it another person tastes the same thing because the, their feelings are not there, they don't feel that way because they are different. So the seat of your emotions. And a, a better example is when somebody loves a person. So let's say a young man loves a young woman, right? And then all of a sudden he meets the young woman at the mall and the young woman is with another guy. And they are holding hands. You see that? Um, um, the young guy's heart is broken. That this person that I love, all of a sudden, is loving somebody else, and then I feel sad. So that's in the seat of your emotions. Now, let's come back to our, to our discussion here. If we agree that you are more than your body, okay, now, that's just on the surface. If we, if we go into it deeper and, and to look at examples of experiences of people, 
it is known that we are more than our body. That's how come there are scientific disciplines like psychology, right? Psychology is a discipline that is an evidence that you are more than your physical body. It can't just be chemistry and biology that makes who you are. There is more to you than just chemistry and biology. And that's why we have psychologists who will think and begin to decipher what's in your mind and try to counsel you how you are to behave. Okay? Lorna, you have your hand up? It's hot in here. Joshua, can you turn out the heater a bit? Thank you. All right, so now when my scene, you said you're hot and you have your jacket on. All right, let's go on. Let's go on. Time is going. So when a person dies, when a person dies, if they have a soul, which we agree that we all have, then death is not the end, right? Now, imagine somebody comes and tries to convince you that, hey, no, when we die, that's the end. There is nothing like we are going to be raised from the dead to go to face a judgment. There's nothing like that. There's no judgment day. There's nothing. Death is the end. Case closed. Full stop. If a person, for instance, is able to convince us that that is in fact what happens, then, can you tap Malco? Then, when that happens, what that means is, if death is the end, how was Christ able to be raised from the dead? Yes. Okay. If death is the end, and there is no being raised from the dead, then would it be possible for Christ to have been raised from the dead? No. No. Right? And that's what this scripture is saying. If there is no resurrection of the dead, we have seats here. Come, come, we have seats here. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. So, a day like today, when we celebrate Resurrection Sunday, one of the things you should remember about today is that it is proof to you and to me that after death, there is going to be a day when all those who have died will be raised from the dead. Whether they were good or whether they were bad, they were going to be raised from the dead. Right? Those who are good, and good being those who believe in Christ, because there's nobody who really does good and never sins. So in God's eyes, good people are people who believe in Jesus. That's it. So those who believe in Jesus, they will be raised to go to heaven. And those who didn't believe in Jesus, they will be raised from the dead to go to where? Hell. So there is a resurrection of the dead. But assuming you have this atheist professor in university who tries to tell you there is nothing like being raised from the dead, Paul, the apostle, is saying in this scripture, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then all our preaching is useless. Do you see how important Easter is to your Christianity? 
if Jesus Christ never rose from the dead, then everything about church is meaningless. Now, if I were the devil and I really want to fight Christians, one of the things that I would really put all my efforts in to fight is to fight the resurrection and to fight the crucifixion. That is why there are movies like, um, what? The Da Vinci Code or documentaries. Do you know, you know heard of the Da Vinci Code? Oh. Yeah, you're you too young when it came out. Okay, what are some modern ones that have come out? Passion of Christ. No, not the Passion of the Christ. So I'll tell you the, the Da Vinci Code. Did you hear about the Da Vinci Code? So you're also too little. Oh, man. You guys make me feel like I'm old, but I'm only 17. When did that movie come out? Wait, when did that movie come out? It came out before you were born, I think. I don't even remember. 2007. What? What? We were alive. We were alive. We were too young. Is it like when you left behind? No. So I'll tell you about the Da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci Code was a documentary that claimed a claim that Jesus Christ died but never rose from the dead that his disciples stole his body and took his body to France, that Jesus Christ actually got married, and he married Mary Magdalene, and he had, he had some family, he had some children, right? And so the point that I'm making is, if I were the devil, I'll put all my efforts into telling those kind of stories, to deceive people, to have doubts about did Jesus really die? Did Jesus really resurrect? Because the very moment that you don't know the truth, are you listening? That you don't know the truth about the death and the resurrection of Jesus, once the devil is able to put a question mark on that in your mind, he has succeeded in uprooting all your faith in God. Because he says, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is vain and we he says we have found false witnesses false witnesses that word false witnesses is pseudo matus pseudo matus is a witness who is not telling the truth okay if we are going to be true witnesses we have to know the truth what is that truth that i want you to grasp in your spirit the truth of the resurrection of jesus okay if you don't grasp this truth in your spirit for yourself, Satan can easily shake your faith like a wind and just blow it away. So give me your attention. In the next 15, 20 minutes, I should be done. So give me your full attention, okay? So are we supposed to stay here after? Because you know that I'm going to finish like three or four o'clock. We will do something after I'm done, okay? We'll, we'll do something. You are getting food right now. <laughs> All right, guys, let's go on. Can we go on? Can we go on? All right.
First Peter three fifteen. Belinda, read for me. Yeah, read the scripture. Okay. Guys, listen. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always be what? Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope you have. Look at this scripture. What the scripture is saying is that if you meet me on the road and I'm an atheist and I ask you why are you a Christian, you should be prepared to give me an answer for why you are a Christian. Right? Now, if I were to ask you, why are you a Christian? I'm an atheist, so don't tell me any spiritual stuff because I don't believe in no spiritual stuff. I'm an atheist. I'm asking you, why are you a Christian? Because God made us Christians. Because God made you Christians. Well, I don't believe in God. So, I guess I can just continue to be an atheist. But the scripture is saying, be prepared. Be, have you sat in an exam that you really didn't prepare for? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> how, how did it feel? Did it feel good? <laughs> you really you really weren't prepared for the exam. Did it feel good? No, it doesn't feel good at all. I can tell you that. Now, guys, listen. Listen, listen, listen. Here he's saying, be what? Prepared to give an answer. Which means, just like you study to prepare for an exam, right? You do something before the exam to be ready for when the exam comes. Right? That's how you prepare. You don't prepare in the midst of the exam. I mean, you'd already fail. It's not like at the time of the test, that's when you are going to read. You've already failed. Right? But you prepare before the exam. So when he says, be prepared to give an answer, he's saying, before you are asked the question, try and prepare yourself. That's what he's saying here. Right? So, one of the preparations, what we're doing now is part of preparation. Before you meet your friend who asks you, Hadassah, why are you a Christian? You should already be thinking right now, what will I say when I'm asked that question? So what will you say? <laughs> why are you a Christian? I'm an atheist. Now, I'm an atheist, and I'm asking you, why are you a Christian? Um, you want me to answer that one, or ask my question first? Okay, ask you. Uh, you're asking me a question? Yeah. But I asked you a question first. I, no, but I raised my hand to ask you a question before you ask me a question. Okay, you go ahead. Um, what if, like, me telling you, like, oh, I believe in God because I know, you know, I've experienced God, I believe in God, and they're like, I don't care, like, I haven't experienced Him. How is that supposed to explain, like, anything to me? What do you tell them? Because that, that's how you prepare, by telling them your story. Right. That's the whole point of me asking you that question now. Because we've usually said that, and I've said that to myself, that, yeah, you share your experience. But if you share experience, how is that different from the Jehovah's Witness or the Latter Saints guy who this same atheist asks them, why are you a Latter-day Saints person? And the answer is going to be, because I've experienced God, because um, 
or my parents took me to Latter day, or I've experienced God. How is that different from you? Right? Why are you a Christian? Now, this is a very important question because if you say Christianity is so important in your life, right? If you claim everything about God and Christ is so important to you, then shouldn't you be able to at least articulate why? <laughs> are, you, are you with me? Yes. Now, be prepared to give an answer to everyone. Why are you a Christian? Michaela, you, you asked me your question. No, but like I said, like, your experience. God, I know what he's done for me. But like, there's no really good answer that you can give him because I can tell him all the truth that I like, have, oh Jesus, you know, he died for you, he came to save you. But if you don't believe it, it's nothing. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Now, now I'll give you an example of um, somebody who, do you know, you've met some people who are delusional, right? The, they really believe in something. They think that that something is really what it is, but in fact, it's not, right? When you meet such a person and you're talking to such a person and they are trying to convince you to believe what they believe, Will they talk to you that, no, what I'm saying is that you have to believe what I'm telling you. This, and they give you proofs why this ceiling is going to fall down on our head right now. They can even give you scientific equations and all the math. I mean, people who are really delusional. Have you watched a, be a Beautiful Mind before? No. You've not watched A Beautiful Mind? What movies do you watch? I don't want to know, eh? <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, what was I even saying? Beautiful mind. When people are delusional, when people are delusional, they believe strongly what they are delusional about, that they can even try to convince you to believe it. The point here, Michaela, is telling the person your experience and what you believe and the proofs of it, yes, they are all good, but they are still no good if all of that is not the truth. So, why you believe, one of the strongest reasons why you are a Christian is because that is the truth. It's, it's one of the strongest reasons you have. Because, that's the, because if it's not true, it doesn't matter how you feel about it, right? If it's not true, you are no different from the person who is delusional. But if it is in fact true, then all the arguments that anybody has can't change that because there can only be one truth. Are you with me? Right? So, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for what you believe or what your hope is. You have to know and be convinced about the truth of what you believe. The truth of what you believe. So that you can, when somebody is trying to talk to you, say, this is the truth. Right? This is the truth. If, what's the color of this thing that I'm wearing? Why? If somebody comes with a scientific equation and all the nice words that you can think of, 
to try to convince me that this is pink. Do you think that I'll be convinced? No. Because I know the truth. I tell, I tell the person, yes, I see all the equations that you are giving on the board and everything, but this is white, and I know that this is true. Yes. Yeah. Well, the only thing like that, like they said that I couldn't really like do anything well is that like you haven't seen it, you believe it, but you don't know it. So we have faith in God and we like believe that He's there, but do we really know for a fact? Well, we believe that we know, right? It's, but a Hindu also believes that their elephant God is really there, helping them do their thing. You know what I mean? Right. That's that's the whole point of our conversation. See. A lot of the times, we haven't done well as Christians, and I'm not blaming you guys, I'm blaming we the pastors. We haven't done well in moving you guys from just believing in something into understanding why it is the right thing to believe in. Why it is the most reasonable thing to believe in. Why it's the most sensible thing to believe in. Like those of you who came this morning, I was telling you, if, if a book, if we see a nice book with a nice cover design with letters. I mean, you know what makes up a book, right? There are letters on a page, and the letters form to make words, and the words put together make a story, right? If, you see, if we see a book like that, with all the letters and everything, there are two explanations for how this book came about. One explanation is there was a big blast somewhere, and then all of a sudden the book emerged from it, with a nice cover design, with all letters put together, and somehow the letters were arranged in a way that they formed words, and the words were arranged in a way that they tell this nice story. And it just happened by a big blast. That's one explanation. Another explanation is, even though I can't see who wrote it, but I think that, no, somebody sat down and put their thoughts into writing this book and wrote it and put a story in it that now when I read it, even though I haven't seen the person, when I read it, it makes sense. So two, two explanations for how the book came about, right? The two explanations, which of the two is more reasonable to believe? The big blast or that there was somebody who wrote it? Right. It's the same in explaining our faith. I may not have seen the writer, but there's an evidence. When I look at the book, the only thing that makes sense, if I'm using my brains, the only thing that makes sense is to conclude that somebody wrote this book. Because a big blast can't put letters together in a way that it will tell a story. Right? It doesn't make sense. And in the same way, our faith that we have come to believe in, of course, we need faith because we haven't seen the writer. But... Our faith makes sense because we see the evidence of what the writer has written. We see the evidence of creation. We see it all around us. It makes sense. When I look at my beautiful face, I don't think I came from a monkey. It doesn't make sense. Right? It makes more sense that an intelligent person designed me and made me look like how I look. Right? And I said in the morning, it actually requires more faith to believe in a big blast that brought the book than it requires to believe that somebody wrote the book. Right. So, what did you say? 
Life in the book? Yes, of course, there is life in the book that God has written. So, I'm going to go through three objections to the truth of the resurrection. Just three, I will be done and we'll have a discussion. Okay? The first objection is that the disciples conspired to lie about the resurrection. So remember, the devil knows that the resurrection is the foundation for your Christian faith. So he's trying to shake it. So he gets some people together and say, hey, talk to this young lady. You know, you believe that Jesus resurrected, you're celebrating Easter. But did you know that the whole story about that Jesus resurrected was a lie? That the disciples made it up? How will you respond? Yes, Joshua. Well, how I will respond is... Listen, guys. Well, you do, well, you do realize that the disciples were... The, well, some of the disciples were there to see Jesus die. Wow. Well, you see, well... Yep. The disciples saw Jesus die. Very good answer. You have something more? None of the, well, the disciples were surprised that, that you see, uh, some of the women who came to Jesus was grave they found him not there mm-hmm yeah so, so they, they found the grave empty yeah so they went to the disciples and said that jesus was alive mm-hmm. the disciples well they didn't believe it the disciples didn't believe it okay very good point yes ransford um all the disciples like died like a very violent death they died a very violent death yeah and they all had opportunities to deny jesus in the long run but they still like went through with Christianity and for someone to die for something that they conspired and to die all these violent deaths there must be something wow did you hear him so he's saying that all the disciples they died a violent death and it doesn't make sense that people will die for what they know to be a lie right so let's say you stole a pencil from your friend's bag and there was a camera that saw you and and you go to your principal's office and the principal says look this is the evidence we saw you steal it just say that you stole it and we won't have any punishment for you but if you still insist that even though the camera is showing that you stole it but you say no that's not me it's all made up that will expel you from the school would you steal, and you know that you stole it. It's not that you didn't steal it, right? You know that you stole the thing. What would be the most... For a pencil? It's just an example. You could have sent some money then. You should have sent money. Okay, so let's say this, this is a golden pencil. Let's say it's a golden pencil. What would you say? Would you still say that you didn't steal it and be expelled? You would just say you stole it because you know you stole it, right? Well, it depends how the school is. It depends how the school is. Okay. <laughs> right. Now, let's try and see from this, from this scripture in the Bible. The Bible says when Jesus rose up, read for me, um, Judah. Came during the night while we were sleeping, and they stood up and 
stole his body. So the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews, and they still tell it today. Amen. So the Bible tells us that in Jesus' day, there was a story that came up saying that the disciples stole Jesus' body. And that lie is still being told today. For people to conspire to tell a lie, and for that lie to succeed, there are five, five, five things that are really needed for it to succeed. One, it has to be a small number of conspirators. So let's say Beverly and Nana conspire, they agree, they're going to tell a lie about Irina to me, right? It, has, it's, it will succeed if it's just the two of them. The moment they want to say, they want to convince everybody in this room, you know, let's lie to Pastor Cyril about Irina. How many of you know that there'll be a few among you who will not want to do it, right? So for, for, for a conspiracy to succeed, you need a small number of people so that they can maintain the lie. But the moment it's a larger group, by all means, there'll be one or two who will say, no, 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 it's a lie. The other condition for a conspiracy to succeed is that they need a short time span. You know, how many of you know that it's, it's difficult to tell a lie for a long time? It means you, you tried it before, eh? No. <laughs> right? It's difficult to tell a lie for a long time. So you need a short time where you just tell the lie and you're gone and you don't have to tell it again, right? You also need excellent communication amongst yourselves. So, for instance, Nana and Beverly decide to tell me a lie and I say, okay, I don't believe you guys. I'm going to interview you separately. So I call Nana into a room, and then I question her, and she tells me some stuff. Beverly doesn't know she, Nana's told me this stuff. But if they have a cell phone, whilst I was talking, I didn't know that she had put me on the recorder, and Beverly was listening to everything we were saying. So how many of you know, if Beverly was listening to the conversation, and I now interview Beverly, she would tell me, the same thing that Nana told me, and I will be deceived, right? But if there is no cell phone, and there's no means of them communicating, I can easily debunk their lie. The fourth thing is that they have to have a strong friendship amongst themselves. Either they are family or they are friends. Because people don't want to deny their own family, you know? So even if it's a lie, if I say it's a lie, I'm going to break my friendship with my friend, so I still maintain it as a lie, just to keep the friendship. Then the last thing that is needed, and all this is coming, I'll, I'll play a video after this. I took this from the video. All this is coming from detectives and how they get people to tell the truth in a crime. Okay? Little or no pressure to confess. So, you told me a lie, and... Or, no, maybe not me. Maybe you told the police a lie. And one of the things the police will tell you is, if it's found that you've told a lie, you'll go to jail for telling the lie. Did you know that? Did you know you could go to jail for telling a lie to the police? Right. So, if you didn't know, then you know. You could, just for telling a lie to the police, you could go to jail. And so, if you know that, and under the law, you are giving a confession 
you make sure that whatever you're saying is the truth. But where there is no pressure, where you don't even go to any jail if you told the police a lie, how many of you know that a lot of people will lie to the police? Even with this going to jail, still people lie to the police. How much more if there is no going to jail? Right? Now, if you think about these conspiracies, and you think of the disciples, that they lied to everybody. All for the glory of being beaten and tortured and killed for what they knew was a lie. Remember what I told you about what makes sense and what doesn't make sense? Was it possible that they would lie? Yes, it was possible. But would it be reasonable? No, it will not be reasonable. Because it won't make sense that if I know that Jesus did not was not risen from the dead, but I still insist he was risen from the dead and they beat me and they put me in jail and I'm killed and I see my, my friend being killed and they come for me and they're going to kill me too. And I, I saw that he was not risen from the dead. What would be the easiest route out? I just say, no, it's all a lie. But Peter and James and John and Bartholomew and Philip, all the disciples, they still stood their ground. Remember what I was talking to you about Matthews? They stood their ground as true witnesses and said, no, it is true. We saw him. He's risen from the dead. The tomb is empty. Jesus Christ is alive. And they confessed it boldly. And even when they were being burned, some of them were burned alive. Some of them were killed, crucified. We're going to see it shortly. They still held their ground. And to me, that makes more sense that it was true that Jesus Christ resurrected. How did the 12 disciples die? Matthew was impaled by spears in Ethiopia. They put spears through him. James was thrown off a wall and then clubbed to death. Jude was crucified in Persia. John died in exile on the island of Patmos. He was put in a bowl of oil and they tried to fry him up alive. But God supernaturally intervened so he didn't die. And then they threw him on the island of Patmos where there are wild animals and stuff. And he was there on the island of Patmos. That was when Jesus appeared to him and gave him the vision of the book of Revelation. You know the book of Revelation in the Bible. That was how John received it because he was alone on the island of Patmos where he was left there to die. Matthias was stoned and beheaded. You know, why would they do all this? Because they're telling them that just say that Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead. Just say that it's not true. Just say that all that you are saying is a lie. And they're saying, no, it's not a lie. It is true. Jesus is alive. And they kill them. And they still maintain their faith. Philip was hung by iron hooks upside down. Right? Peter was crucified upside down by Nero. They were going to crucify Peter like Jesus. And Peter said, I'm not worthy to die like my master. Turn the cross upside down. So his head was down and his feet was up. And that was how Peter died. You know Peter, right? The same guy who denied Jesus. He stood his ground because he knew it was not a lie. He actually, if, you read, if you read first or second Peter, there's a scripture, and that was Peter's letter that he wrote. It's a scripture that he said, Peter saying, he's speaking, he said, Beloved, we have not believed in cleverly devised stories. 
but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What he's saying is that all this that we are telling you, it's not stories that we have made up. We saw it. We were eyewitnesses. We saw that the tomb was empty. We saw him after he was risen from the dead. He came. If you read the, the Bible, Jesus, when he was resurrected, met with the disciples, even ate with them. Right? So these are true witnesses. Thomas was stabbed with a spear in India. James was beheaded. Simon was crucified. Andrew was crucified on an X-shaped cross. And Bartholomew was flayed to death by whip. You know, on Friday, those of you who were here, I showed you how Jesus, when he was whipped, all the flesh in his back was peeled off. And you could see even the bones in his back. That's how he was killed, Bartholomew. They whipped him till his skin came off. And he died. Why? Not because he killed somebody. Not because he stole something. But because he believes in Jesus. And it's not that he just believed him blindly. No. Because he saw it. He was with Jesus when Jesus was walking on earth and doing all those miracles. He was there when they came to arrest him. And they crucified him. He saw him die on the cross. He saw him being put in the grave. And on the third day they went and his body is not there. And then they meet him. They are all in the room praying or talking. And Jesus appears in the room. And they see the nail in his hands. And they see the, the wound in his side. They saw it. There's no way you can convince them to deny that they didn't see it. Even if it meant that they would have to die. They did. And they died for it. And it's all there in history books. It's not like something that is made up. Any intellectual, any scholar will tell you that these things have happened and it is true. Yes, I forgot Jesus' name because we're talking about Jesus on Friday. <laughs> yes. I know how much color. All these people, they see it, right? We really did not see that, but we really do believe it. Yes. How do we get to that level of, like, if someone comes here and says, I'm going to cut off all your fingers, if you don't, if, like, you don't not say that Jesus is thing. How do you get to that level of saying, okay, cut my fingers off? Right. That's very, very good question. Do you understand her question? Yeah. That, say you put Peter, you put Peter beside me Peter was there Peter saw Jesus right and walked with Jesus and saw the resurrection but I haven't I wasn't there right how do I come to the same place as Peter where I will be convinced in my faith and willing to even die for it even if it comes to it right that is why are you listening do you want to know the way you get to do that is by getting close to God do you know that Jesus Christ is alive? Of course, he's alive. You see, I used to think when we say Jesus Christ is alive, I used to think that um, it's his ghost, like his spirit. Like, I mean, you know, his spirit that is alive. But no, 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 no. His bodily, he, he was raised from the dead bodily. So Jesus Christ is alive now, just as he was when Peter and them were around. And he's still around, you know. And you can know him. That's why in the morning I said to those of you who are in the Sunday school, Hebrews 11.6, he who comes to God must believe that he is or that he exists. That's the first step. You must believe that there is a supernatural being out there who created me. Right? You, once you believe that, then the next step is, he says, he is a rewarder of those 
who diligently seek him. How many of you know that sometimes you can study for an exam and still fail? Right? But there are other times too where you diligently study and you know that there's a difference. The way I have studied, I will do well in this exam. How many of you have felt that way? I tell you a joke. <laughs> when I was at U of T, my first semester. Oh, yeah, you told us. Yeah, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> my, my microbiology course, I said, I, I really studied. And I said to myself, of all the exams that I've written this term, if I don't do well, not in this microbiology exam. Because I knew I had studied. And you know how when you're answering the questions in the exam, you see the question, you know that this one, I know it. This one, I know it. This one, I know it. And then you answer all the questions. Could you believe? <laughs> could you believe that when the results came, that microbiology class was the one that I almost failed? I almost failed. I couldn't believe it. I, I even wanted to go for a remarking. And then where I failed, I was on the border between passing and failing. So I said, if I go for a remarking and I just lose a few points, I will fail. So it's better to just take it as it is. <laughs> and that was my, all my career. That was the worst grade ever. You want me to tell you? You tell me yours and I'll tell you mine. You didn't do microbiology. Didn't you not say you got like a 50 or like a 47? No, no if you got a 47, you fail. In uni, like some classes, like you fail yeah. if you get under 70, under 60. So like, like okay, so what do you get? So you really want to know what I got? Yeah. What was the passing? What was the passing? I'm not telling you. It was something like a 70. I'm not telling you. I'm not telling you. I told you, eh? Oh, yeah, it's right. <laughs> I got a 51. Yeah. Very bad. Yeah, but they know that I never get those grades, so they know something was wrong. Right? But the point is that if you do something and you don't do it diligently, huh? You just have wasted your time. So that's how some of us are seeking God, you know. It's like, yeah, we still come to church and we still carry our Bibles. But you're not really into God. You're just getting these. But if you are a diligent seeker, he says, he rewards those who diligently seek him. A diligent seeker of God. Are you with me? A diligent seeker of God pays attention. Like I was doing when I was at your age and I was going to church. I, I had a notebook. I was always writing. I was always taking notes. The person mentions a scripture, I write it down. When I go home, I open my Bible, I read it. And I'll be praying. And I'll be reading. And I'll be praying. That's a diligent seeker. When you are like that, Michaela, you'll get close to God. you get to know God. you get to know Him in a way that if somebody were to come to you and say, between you and Beverly, right? The person says that um, I'm going to take Beverly or I'm going to take you. Take us to work. No, I'll make you take me. Like, they're going, to, they're going to cut one of you, you your head. God forbid, right? Okay, 
would you would you say okay take Beverly and let me live? Well, like no. if they're asking me, obviously, like I'll you know. No, I'd be like, okay, no, take her. <laughs> you will say they should take her. No, I'm asking, free obviously. ticket to heaven, right? Okay. Free ticket to heaven. <laughs> you see, easily when you know somebody, you are willing to die for the person, depending on the level of relationship. Okay. Now. Another motivation for people telling lies, are you with me? Do you think that if I tell a lie, just one small lie, and I'll make a million dollars, that I'm likely to do it? Huh? Depends what it is. Do you think that a lot of people, if they were to just tell a lie and they'll make a million dollars, that they will do it? Yes. Yes. Yes, they will do it. Okay? So, the motivation to tell a lie has to be there. What will I get in telling a lie? You always tell a lie for a reason. Right? You get something. Either it's money or it's some sexual pleasure, like some guys lie to some ladies just to have fun, right? They tell a lie. Oh, my daddy owns the airport. <laughs> right? And then the lady also believes it naively. So people tell a lie just for some sexual pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> or they will tell a lie just to be in power so if I to tell a lie and all of you will think of me like such a great person I feel good right now you think of the disciples can you tell me what motivation they would have had if they were making up the resurrection story what do you think they got? If the, Let's say, in fact, Jesus never rose from the dead. But they are trying to deceive all of us that Jesus rose from the dead. What do you think will be their motivation in doing that? Do you think that they will get money or they got money from doing that? No. What did they get? They, they were beaten. They lost all their property. They were thrown out of their homes. Why would anybody tell a lie for that? Right? So they didn't have that motivation. They also were people of strong moral character. They weren't doing that for any sexual pleasure. In fact, in the New Testament, you will see instructions saying, abstain from fornication, stay away from sexual immorality, be the husband of only one wife. Amen. Right? Amen. It talks about that. Strong moral character. So why would they tell a lie? And then, they were not also interested in power. You think of somebody like the Apostle Paul. You know, Paul, what was his name before he became Paul? Saul. Saul, right? And Saul was a prestigious person. He already knew the law. He was respected. He was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were respected. So he was in the position of power already. And then he encountered Jesus. So Paul said, I saw the risen Christ. If you read the Bible, say, I saw him myself. And after he had encountered Jesus... He had to leave all that power and all that prestige. And they, were, they, were, they treated him just like the other Christians. 
Paul was beaten many times. He said, I was whipped with 39 lashes. I was shipwrecked on the sea. And he had to go through all that. There is simply no motivation for them to have lied about the resurrection. Now, if you combine all of these together, what makes sense is that they didn't lie, but they were telling the truth. Let's look at the second objection to the resurrection. What does it say, Chris? Resurrection, make it unreasonable. Make it unreasonable. This is some of the reasons why people don't believe in the resurrection. Like, have you seen a dead person being raised from the dead before? Oh, yeah, sir. That's what I was going to ask you. I know, I'm not saying I see it. Yeah. You know that video, like, it's on WhatsApp? I don't know if you've uh -huh. seen that guy, like, I don't know which guy, um, What's that people that people watch? Like he's like uh he's on YouTube and like he does like movie like he does like like I don't know what's his name, but like okay, the guy was dead and then they resurrect him from the dead. And like he got her from his casket and like he was like opening his mouth and like Oh yeah 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 I saw that I saw that. No no um I don't wanna I don't wanna talk about that per se. <laughs> but the point is People can ask you, is it hot in here? Yes. Can you open the door? Is the heater off? Is the, is the heat, Joshua, is the heater off? Can, can you check the heater and turn it off? Please. And let's open the doors, okay? No, open the door, open the door. Just for a, a, a bit. Yeah, it's 26. It's hot. Open the door. Open it. Open it wider. All right. So, if you are asked, if you are asked, Nana, do dead people rise from the dead? You'll say, yeah? Really? Do they rise from the dead? Yeah. Okay, no. Well, I mean... There I mean, are some people who have been dead for a while and came back, and they to, came life. back to life. How do you explain that scientifically? Uh, it's that they die for a second and then they go back. Yeah, that, um, that, the female, that, 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 that power does Really? So, so then they are not dead, right? They are not dead. If they're able to shock them, and they come back, then they really didn't die. Or, yeah, the nurse is saying they didn't really die. When you're dead, they can shock you or whatever. You'll never come. So, we say we believe in the resurrection. Nadel, you believe in the resurrection? You believe actually that Jesus came back from the dead? Seriously? You believe such stuff? When did you last see a person come back from the dead? So, I'm an atheist, and I'm asking you that question. What would be your answer? <coughs> From your religion, you believe it. Then I say, okay, fine. Maybe you're not thinking. But I think I'm a rational person. I like to think about things before I believe it. You're not thinking. So you're deceived, but you don't know. You have to explain the resurrection story. Well, then I say, yes, you said it. I know the story. I've read the Bible. But I don't believe any of it because dead people don't rise from the dead. 
problem. <laughs> you say that's my problem. Well, I say fine. That's your problem too. That you believe in things that you've not really thought about. Yes, Vanessa, you have a, you have your hand up. Who closed the door? Please open the door. Yeah, open it, open it. Leave the door open. Yes. Um, you could say like there's been a lot of like um, medical miracles that have happened where like people were suffering from like um, stage four cancer and then automatically they just healed and like science can't prove that but there's more stuff to this world than people yeah. really think. So yeah. right. Did you hear him? No. That's. There's more stuff that happens in our world that science can't prove. There have been incidences where, keep the door open. There have been instances where people stage four cancer and they get healed. And science can't explain that. You see, the truth is, when people make these statements, because it's, it will have to be a miracle, I can't believe it. They are assuming that there's nothing like miracle in our world, okay? But that assumption, is it true? or not. We have evidences even today that there are miracles. Now, why, why would people not want to accept that there are miracles? Because if they accept that there are miracles, they have to accept the existence of a supernatural being. Right? There has to be a supernatural being who will be the one that will cause miracles to happen. And so if I'm an atheist and I don't believe in a supernatural being, all that I believe in is everything that I see. So I can't believe in miracles. I want you to watch this video. I hope I have the video. Now you mentioned a minute ago that it's a supernatural claim. We've been looking at pantheism and naturalism. Okay. And of course people are going to push back and go, wait a minute, doesn't science show that the dead people stay dead? Aren't miracles impossible in our age of science? Well, right, so the issue is, are we so committed to our natural view of the world that we reject anything supernatural. Because you're right, a man rising from the dead would break the laws that we're typically familiar with. Mm -hmm. But that's the question I really had as a non-believer. Does anything supernatural like God exist? So I knew in order to answer that investigative question, I couldn't already have the answer in my head. In other words, I couldn't assume nothing supernatural ever happens, ever occurs, ever exists. And then begin to study whether or not something supernatural occurs, happens, or exists. I had to leave that on the on the shelf. So what I did was I suspended just for a season my doubt about this issue until I found out what the evidence said. And when I got done, I was really convinced that the evidence was superior and pointed to the most reasonable explanation. So we should be open to following the evidence wherever it leads, whether natural or supernatural. Yeah, how I put it is you can't start an investigation and be a know-it-all. Okay. Right? You just have to say to yourself, there's some stuff I don't know yet. Yeah. Let me just keep that in mind as I begin the investigation. I need to pass that lesson on to my kids. That well, would, that would I can tell you, Sean, I've had cases where we've walked into a, a death scene and the uh, senior guy on our team has an idea already about who the best potential suspect is. And I've wasted a week on one case trying to look for somebody that he was so convinced it's going to look like this, when in fact he was just wrong. So you can't start off thinking you know the answer. His assumptions are wrong, so he got the wrong That's right, yeah. Okay. What this was saying, really, can you get the light back? Ah. 
It's really hot, huh? I'm, I'll wrap up. I'll wrap up in the next few minutes. What the video, what the video was saying is that the people that say there are no miracles, they are assuming that there is no supernatural being. They're already coming to the conclusion that there is no existence of a supernatural being without investigating that conclusion. So you try to point them to the belief that they have that there's no supernatural being so there's no miracles therefore there's no resurrection if you actually follow the evidence which was one of them we just talked about people being healed if you follow the evidence of looking at creation and the beauty of creation and the design like the book story that i gave you if you follow the evidence it points to the existence of a supernatural being and if there's the existence of a supernatural being then a dead person rising from the dead is something that is possible. The last thing that people, or reason people give to refute the resurrection, they say that they were hallucinating. Do you know what hallucinating means, right? Somebody who is high, seeing stuff, right? That Jesus didn't even rise from the dead. The disciples were just imagining that he rose from the dead. And so, if that is true, you know what that happens, what that means for us? It means our faith is useless. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, our faith is useless. That's why it's important for us to know the truth of some of these things. If, if the disciples were hallucinating, then Jesus Christ never rose. But is it true that he was, or they were hallucinating? If you see this scripture, it wasn't just one disciple who saw that Jesus rose from the dead, right? How many? 500. 500. He was first seen by Peter and then by the 12. And then after he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Now you guys tell me, can we all, can I sit down? Yeah. Can we all, as we are right here, be hallucinating at the same time and be seeing um, Jesus, yes. like all of us, I'm, I'm not talking of that we are having a, a real vision of Jesus, okay? If Jesus is here for real, we will all see him, right? Yes. But now they are saying that Jesus was not risen for real. They were hallucinating. So hallucinating means we're all high and we're all seeing stuff. Is it possible that we're all high and we're all seeing the same stuff at the same time? Is that possible? No. Never. It could be, but it's probably like really rare. It's really rare, right? And we will not see the same thing. Because if what we're hallucinating is that whatever you are seeing is not real, right? We're all seeing different stuff. Somebody may see a cat. Somebody may see a pig flying. Somebody may see a horse that is talking. Like, but we're all seeing different stuff. But that we're all seeing the same thing. And that same person that we're seeing is talking to us and we're all hearing the same thing and experiencing the same thing. Come on, that's not hallucination. That's something that's really happening. Do you get it? And that's what, that's one quick way for you to see that the claim that the disciples were hallucinating was false. See, you just have to think about it for a moment and you realize, oh no, what these guys are saying is not true. Let's watch this video.
Very short one. Have you ever wanted something so bad that you kind of started to see it? In other words, if you love pizza, you love cheese pizza, and you're passing by, is that a pizzeria? Oh, no, it's a bookstore. But you just want pizzeria, so, so you start to see things that aren't really there because you're so hungry, and you really want that pizza. Well, think about this. If, if you were in the group of disciples who really wanted Jesus to be alive, don't you think it's possible, even reasonable, that they might imagine seeing Jesus even when he wasn't there? The power of their desire would take over. I'll give you an example of this, right? Mary's in the, t in the garden tomb. And, and she she sees a gardener. Oh, no, it's Jesus. No, Mary, it's a gardener, okay? You just want it to be Jesus, so you've imagined this. Couldn't that explain the accounts we see in the resurrection accounts? People who so desperately wanted Jesus to be alive that they imagined this. And there's more of these. Hey, there's a, there's a couple places in, in Scripture where it says that Peter had a single sighting of Jesus. I think Peter felt bad. I think Peter wanted Jesus to be alive. Maybe he imagined it. There's a sighting, and I think it's described in 1 Corinthians 15, of James, the brother of John, seeing Jesus. James probably wanted it to be true. There's another sighting, though, that seems more confusing, right? Because there's a guy named Saul who was on the road to Damascus. And he's the only one who sees this vision of Jesus. Do you think that Saul wanted, later known as Paul, wanted Jesus to be alive? Is he imagining because he wants it to be? I don't think so. So it starts to get a little, well, it gets worse. Then we have accounts where you've got more than one person seeing the risen Christ and describing it for years afterwards, like the people on the road to Emmaus. Oh, really? So, so two people? Both imagine Jesus? Look, if I, if I had a dream last night and I told you I was driving down Mulholland Drive in a red Tesla, and you said to me, oh yeah, and it's got a, a beige rag top, right? I'm like, whoa, how did you know that? And the top was down, right? I'm like, well, how did you know that? And you can even describe the music I was listening to on the radio. How would you, look, if you could tell me my, my, the details of my dream, that would freak me out. Because we don't have group dreams. Those things we do in groups are called memories. But group dreams are out of the question. There's never been a single example anywhere in history of group dreams with that kind of precision and similarity. Yet we have two people on the road to Emmaus. We have three Marys at the tomb. We have the seven disciples at the sea. We have the ten disciples in the upper room. Thomas comes back. We have 11 disciples. On the mountaintop, we have at least 11, probably more. At the ascension of Jesus, we have, Paul says there are 500 who saw the risen Christ on the same day. That's a group dream? They're group dreaming this? 500 people? Hey, is it possible? Anything's possible. But it's certainly not reasonable. And that's why as I was looking at this, I said, you know what? There's got to be a better explanation for these sightings. By the way, if any time in this, they wanted to falsify this vision, this dream, they could simply run back to the tomb and see if there's a body in the tomb. Because if you're just imagining this, there should be a body in the tomb. But there wasn't. And that's how we know they didn't imagine this. They actually saw something with their own eyes. They reported it later. Peter said, I'm not making this stuff up. We just saw it with our own eyes because it actually happened. And that's how we know we can trust what the Gospels say about the resurrection. All right. Let's get the light as we close. Are you happy that we're about to close? <laughs> Sorry? Oh, okay. The children class? Okay. All right. So, what have we learned today? 
we've learned that the story of Christianity is meaningless without the resurrection of Jesus. Right? That in fact, if Jesus didn't, was not raised from the dead, everything we've come to believe in is pointless. But if indeed he was raised from the dead, then everything we're talking about is true. And we are called to be witnesses of that truth. Boldly. Boldly. We've seen three objections that people who want to deny what we believe in will use. One being what? That the disciples lied about Jesus being resurrected. And we've seen that it doesn't make sense. They had no motivation to lie. And plus, it would not have been possible for them to have sustained that lie for a long time and even die for what they knew was a lie. Secondly, we saw that people will say it's a miracle and I don't believe in miracles. Well, when people say that resurrection is a miracle and they don't believe in miracles, they are making an assumption that there is no supernatural being who can cause miracles to happen. When in fact, all the evidence we have does indeed show that there is a supernatural being who's made all of us. And lastly, we've seen, we're saying that they hallucinate. They were just imagining that Jesus rose from the dead. Well, that's possible if we have one or two of them who only saw Jesus. But we have as many as 500 who saw him at the same time. It's not possible that all the same people at the same time will be imagining the same thing, like more like group dreams. Doesn't happen. So thinking with our brain, using our minds, we're seeing that the story of a resurrection is in fact true. And if it is true, I am personally challenging every one of you to not joke with your Christian faith. Don't play games with it. Don't just be like, oh, mommy's going to church, daddy's going to church, I'm just going. Go with understanding for yourself. Get on a journey for yourself to want to know God, to want to find God, to want to experience God for yourself. Because at the end of the day, if it is true, and when you die, it's not the end, you're going to stand before God. And nobody's, I'm not going to be around. I'll be thinking about myself and how I'll talk to God. You got to talk to God yourself. So I want to ask that we all be on our feet as we pray. There are some of you who have been in church for a long time, but you personally have not made a decision really to commit your life to God. And it's very, very important that you do personally because we don't go to heaven in batches. We don't go to heaven in groups. We don't go to heaven with friends. There's nothing like that. That this is the family of so-and-so come into heaven. There's nothing like that. You go to heaven alone. Even twins don't go to heaven together. You go to heaven one by one. And you have to make a personal choice yourself. A decision like I did when I was your age. I did. I decided the pastor was preaching about Jesus on the cross. And I got up. I said, no, from today, I 
want to give my life to Christ. And I was going to church all my life. I was always going with my father or my mom. I was going to church all my life, but I had not made that decision. And that day I decided, and I walked out to the front. I said, I'm going to be serious about this God thing, about this Jesus thing. So I want to challenge all of you. You may have been going to church, but you may not have made that personal commitment. Close your eyes with me. Just close your eyes. And if you truly want to make that commitment, as I pray this prayer, I want you to pray after me. And it's not a joke. It's not something you just say today and you just forget about it. You want to reorganize your life from today. Pray and say, Lord Jesus, I believe in your word. I believe that you died for me. And that on the third day you were raised from the dead. I know that I'm a sinner. I have not really allowed you to rule over my life. But from today, I ask you to be my master, to be my Lord, and to be my Savior. Be my ruler. I give you the keys to my life. I want you to tell me what you want me to do. I will no longer live for myself. I will live to please you. I will no longer live to please my friends. I will live to please you alone. I give my life to you from today onwards. Help me by the power of the Holy Spirit to be serious with church, to be serious with my Bible, to be serious with prayer. Help me in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the opportunity and privilege you have spoken to these ones, precious ones whom you love so much and gave your life for each one of them. You long and desire to have a closer relationship with every one of these. And I pray in the name of Jesus that you will reveal yourself to them. Help them to walk closer with you in a way that they are convinced within themselves of the truth of what they have come to believe in, that nobody will be able to shake their faith and to move them out of your hand. In the name of Jesus, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. May the Lord give you his peace from this day forward and forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Shall we share the grace? May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God and the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen. He anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. God bless you.